following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Flower fresh, mountain solid. And then he said, that is Buddha. That is Buddha. Flower fresh, mountain solid. And there was something about that moment that um, was so moving when he said that, that is Buddha. And that I, I was moved to, to, to tears for a moment or two, just touched by the simplicity of that, sim- just that simplicity of being. So what happened on the way to the Dharma talk now, this talk, is um, that on, um, I was having a beautiful Mother's Day. Um, my family, my husband and I drove down to Lake City. Our son was playing in his rock band down there. And a gorgeous drive along. If you haven't been there, you know, southern Minnesota and the beauty of along the river by Lake Pepin. And I remember noting the pleasantness of the visual field. It was so pleasant. And we were driving on an evening. It was just the light was golden and all the different colored greens. And it was just this blissful experience. And I felt myself just present and breathing and appreciating this great beauty. And then I just noted, oh, this is pleasant. This is very pleasant. This is pleasant. It's so visually pleasing. It's so um, enlivening. It's just so alive. And just this joy. And then and then my son's band was playing and one of their they lost a band member, but he flew in for the occasion. And there was so much joy. They were playing full out and they were just enjoying that that being in the music and even though it was in a not very pleasant environment it was just so wonderful to see that joy (coughs) and then um, had a lovely um, walk by the lake the next morning and breakfast you get the picture right so I get back home and then I go for this bike ride beautiful ride along our beautiful river road and um, I fell off my bike and I have a new friend <laughs> that goes from the knuckles all the way up to here. So that, that happened on uh, Sunday. And I thought, hmm. <laughs> and uh, I um, found out I'd broken my wrist and ended up going to two different orthopedic people to find out whether or not it needed surgery. And it was this close. So I didn't even know if I was going to be here tonight. So, um, And I was, I found this was brought through causes and conditions to this wonderful woman, orthopedic surgeon, uh, who I'd highly recommend. And, uh, and my um, husband said to me at one point, she said, he was sitting in the back corner and she left the room for a moment and he said, She's really listening to you. She's really hearing you. And I thought, wow, you know, what a gift to have a physician really be present. And um, 
So to make a long story short, when she, she took some more pictures, says, I don't know about this. This doesn't look good. And here's this, and here's this. And this is the kind of plate we're going to put in your wrist, and da-da-da. And she says, well, let's take a couple more x-rays. So she came back. She says, hmm, I don't hate this. I think we can uh, cast it. Well, I was the happiest person. You know, talk about pleasure, pain, and how things change. I was so happy. I mean, I was in joy lying on this table, you know, with my arm in the air and this young woman saying, well, what color would you like? <laughs> and, and I said, I'm so happy. She says, well, it's going to be a big cast. And the doctor came in and squeezed and It's going to be tight. I said, fine, you know, you could cast the whole body right now. I'm so happy and relieved not to have surgery. So, so, so what does this have to do? What am I learning about a gateway to liberation through this experience? Um, at one point, um, I had a night before I got to go to the doctor to find out whether or not I'd have surgery. And and um, it was it was challenging, and I realized I did not want to have surgery. I'm kind of frightened about that, and um, and I realized that I had to surrender. So a gateway to liberation was by the time I got there, it was like okay, I surrender. It's not my will. It's not up to me. If I sit here, I'll just create more suffering for myself. So the gateways to liberation were. Also being um, non-judgmental. Okay, you know, I fell down. This happens, and I have some teachings here I want to integrate into this sharing. Um, and then letting go of the soap opera. You know, I could make all these stories and get all upset and recognize what the mind is doing. And compassion, self-compassion. And not taking it so personally. You know, this is this happens. You know, the Buddha suffered. We go through times of good health, times of sickness, times of injury. And then connection with non-separation. This morning, um, I was on my way to, I, I, I just worked down the street, and I was coming up to the door. And there were some yoga students that I know there. And of the yoga students standing there, one was a man whose mother had just passed away last week. Another was a yoga teacher that I know who has plates in his spine from having um, fallen out of a tree in his 20s. And I just felt such warmth, you know, greeting them, you know. And um, so that sense of connection, of being part of being a human being and our, our humanity. And then beginning again, um, being in the present moment, knowing what's needed, you know, recognizing the need to just take good care, you know, to go to bed, to eat, to um, take whatever was needed, and then um, patience and permission to have meltdowns. So. Um, so often, as I'm in my work as a therapist, I just hear, you know, story after story of people coming in with um, that suffering upon suffering, the dukkha of judgment about whatever the difficulty is, be it a heartbreak from a relationship, being at a loss of some a loved one, or some cherished dream, be it. Um, 
an illness, be it um, some um, transformation that's happening in life, that, that, that there's this often this lack of self-compassion. We tend to go into some self-judgment that if I you know, would um, have done it this way or if I were a better person or you know, that wouldn't, maybe this wouldn't be happening to me. And, and so part of you know, this whole piece of, of developing a kind of compassion and, and, and um, an understanding of our shared humanity. Like sharing with you tonight, I really feel a connection. You know, we're all in this together. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. There's, there's this dukkha that happens. And actually, um, I was pretty exhausted and kind of um, frayed by um, um, Sunday night kind of watching my mind and kind of getting worried about what was going to happen. Was I going to get in to see someone and what were they, was I going to need surgery or not? And um, I hadn't laughed yet. And uh, the next day I called someone and um, this friend said to me, you know, um, at one time I had had cancer and it it was removed and I've been cancer free and I went back for a checkup to have this to see if I had a reoccurrence or if I was still clear from cancer it was some time ago and she said to me well I went in and um, I was cancer free and they weighed me and I and I gained 10 pounds and I was so upset <laughs> really good laugh and I said oh you know so that kind of wakes you up and actually a friend of mine uh, went in for a biopsy this week and uh, you know it just puts it in perspective you know so let's uh, go to some of the teachings here um, in uh, the feeling Buddha David is it brazier brazier um, he said that um, that the Buddha, that the sadhu was noble precisely because he was not ruffled by concerns about keeping up appearances, nor anxieties about the ups and downs of circumstances. He was noble in his chosen poverty. By making the respectable reality of dukkha, that first noble truth of suffering in life, into the first point of his teaching, the Buddha is not saying that all life is suffering. He's saying that life is everything life is. It includes birth and death, health and disease, youth and aging, pleasure and pain, success and failure, meeting and parting. A life that we can be happy to live is not one in which we are constantly trying to have the other half of these partings without having the other. So essentially, that dukkha is no impediment to true happiness. The idea that Buddhism leads to happiness is correct. The idea that it does so by eliminating dukkha is false. The first noble truth points to the possibility of happiness within dukkha and dukkha within happiness. They go together. We grow old and die, and we can be happy. 
the one does not preclude the other. We can die happy. Kyung Ho, um, late 18th century, 19th century, famous Korean Zen master taught, don't ask for perfect health. That's just greed. He taught, make medicine from suffering. Don't hope to be without problems. That's just laziness. Accept life's difficulties. Don't expect to your life to be free from obstacles. Without them, the fire of your enlightenment will go out. Find liberation within the disturbances themselves. Find liberation within the disturbances themselves. Another um, follower of the Buddha said that he realized how all his effort in ascetic practice had attended him to get to a point where he would be immune. You know, he would not suffer. And he saw that the irony was the very effort to avoid normal and natural elements and adversary created more suffering than the original affliction itself. He felt a great joy in his heart as he saw what he had to do. There is happiness in knowing for sure what we must do. What was necessary to live a noble life? If he did that, his heart would always be at peace. That is nirvana. Yes. I'm, I'm okay, thanks. Thank you, though. You know, there are these um, three marks of existence, or the three characteristics. We've been talking about the first noble truth, the one about the fact that there is difficulty. Suffering is a human being in life. And that also that can be a gateway to liberation. It is our gateway to liberation. The second um, characteristic of experience is that of impermanence, of everything changing. You know, won't we be happy when the weather changes this weekend? <laughs> you know, sometimes impermanence is on our side, and, you know, the season changes. Um, but everything changes. You know, that's just how it is. And then the fourth, the third mark of existence is the egolessness or the selflessness aspect. This reading, and uh, I, I, I had to take out Pema Children's When Things Fall Apart. It seemed like an appropriate book to pull out. And there's a little reading here. She says, um, recognize impermanence and suffering and egolessness at the kitchen sink level. Recognize impermanence, suffering, and egolessness at the kitchen sink level. And be inquisitive about your, your reactions. Find out for yourself about peace and whether or not it's true that our fundam fundamental situation is joyful. You know, just, just watching my mind <clears throat> go through these different reactions, you know, going from pleasure of a beautiful drive to the pain, the literal physical pain of getting injured, you know, the, the way, the reaction to that, and then um, the fears and the anxieties, and then the joy of getting a 
huge cast that I'm going to be wearing for at least a month. And, and you know, just, just seeing how it's all mind. Joy, sorrow, pleasant, unpleasant, pain. Um, it's, it's all in our reactivity. But you already knew that, right? So um, I thought I'd <clears throat> share this practice with you. Um, about letting go of the soap opera. It's in James's book, and it's by a woman named Catherine Ingram. One area where we tend to hold on is that our personal story, the running narrative that tells you who and what you are, we rehearse it and habituate to it as the character we know ourselves to be. We wake up in the morning, and here comes the story. Familiar? The long-running soap opera. One of the easy ways to begin letting go is to notice how debilitating it is to carry the story, to be obsessed with wants and desires, the loves and hates of this character. Simply notice how the story feels. <clears throat> so maybe take a moment and just notice if you have a particular story or soap opera that runs. And my guess is if you do, ask yourself how positive it is. You know, most of us, unless we're pretty narcissistic, do not have, um, or healthy, mentally healthy, we don't have a pretty positive storyline. And one of the ways you let go is to stop paying so much attention to everything that's arising and passing in the mind. I remember saying that to a client the other day, saying, well, what would it be like if you didn't pay it any mind? You know, if you didn't, you just noticed it as thinking rather than a reality. Um, um, <clears throat> a social worker that I'm supervising was sharing that she's working with a young woman uh, with schizophrenia, and she's teaching her very simple ways to begin to watch the thoughts so she suffers less. One of, so right here, right now, is the freshness of the moment. When we stop being lost in the story, flower fresh, mountain solid, that freshness, that openness. Mingya um, Rinpoche talks about that there's these Buddha nature blockers. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> He says there's actually five, but don't ask me what all five are. But, but you know, they're all versions of, of dukkha, of, of suffering. And um, um, the one of the major Buddha nature blockers is self-judgment, is that running storyline, is that place of you know, self-hatred, self-loathing, um, judgment, judgment about judging ourselves. I, I have. I also have happen to work with, you know, people that are training to be therapists, and they think they should have it all together. Of course, non-therapists don't, right? <laughs> we all think we should have it all together. And um, what, me? Me be depressed? Me have anxiety? You know, me have trouble? You know, yeah, why not you? Don't we all? So... You know, that self-judgment, and then the antidote, of course, is what? Self-compassion, and that's liberating. 
And the Buddha, of course, taught those four noble abodes, which are the radiant noble abodes of loving-kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. So those are always places that we can take for refuge and cultivate. Um, This morning, um, because of the fatigue that comes with an injury, I actually went to bed at a decent hour. So I was able to get up early, and I could spend um, an hour doing metta practice this morning. It's really a gift. Know, to be able to take that time for a metta. So, you know, this is how, how do we work with this adversity? How do we find the gateways to freedom here and now? One woman, um, her name is uh, Jan Fraser. I don't know if you've heard of her. She wrote a book called When Fear Falls Away, and she has a story of her sudden awakening. She was a housewife, a mother, I remember she was a mom. She's just, you know, an ordinary woman doing her life. And she actually had this terror of cancer. And there was a lot of cancer in her family, and she would be frightened every time she'd have to go in to get checked. And she had this breakthrough where she had this freedom where fear fell away, and she had a very powerful awakening experience that has stayed with her since. And she said... she was asking the question, what did that mean to be both human and enlightened? Before this happened to me, I used to think that if a person were enlightened, all that being human stuff, being frail, imperfect, subject to suffering, to desire and fear, would sort of be held down by the higher state. I suppose the higher state would be powerful enough to constantly overwhelm all that ordinary human stuff, sort of keep a lid on it. What is my, in my particular case, would the human condition feel like without desire or fear? These were gigantic forces in my life. Could a human be without desire and fear and be still be said to be human? So she's asking these questions. And then she says that it's not, Excuse me. It's not like being liberated in spite of being human. Enlightenment comes through being human. The idea that our humanity would somehow be blotted out or held down, overwhelmed by being enlightened, I, I now see is out of whack. But of course, I couldn't see that until I got there. My experience of what happened to my humanity is like this. My ways of encountering the world, an experience that didn't serve me or that were a waste of time, those things just fell away, evaporated, and thereby freed up space. This is how I literally experienced the process of becoming free. When fear left, all these other things came. Abilities, insights, profound tenderness came rushing in. So enlightenment seems to transmute the human condition by cleansing away the things that don't serve us, at the same time shining a light into our fullest human potential, infusing it with energy to be wise, to be kind, to enjoy life, our lives, to make right decisions and take effective action. So, again, this this quality of through our humanity, 
not trying to transcend it, but in being fully human and coming home to the moment and being with what is, we awaken. We become more free because we're not trying to be anything other than we are right now, here and now in this moment. Wind down because I'd like to hear from some of you guys. Um, maybe have a little more of a discussion. I'm going to close with a couple more readings here. Mahagosananda, he he's um, like the um, an awakened uh, teacher, um, Cambodian was. If we cannot be happy in spite of our difficulties, what good is our spiritual practice, he asks. And this is by Elizabeth Mattis Namgyal, Open Stillness. The state of not knowing is a riveting place to be, and we don't have to have climb rocks to experience it. We encounter not knowing, for instance, when we meet someone new or when life offers us up a surprise. These experiences remind us that change and unpredictability are the very pulse of our very existence. No one really knows what will happen from one moment to the next, who will be, who we will be, what we will face, and how we will respond to what we encounter. We don't know. But there's a good chance what we will encounter will be some rough, unwanted experiences, some surprises beyond our imaginings, and some unexpected things, too. And we can decide to be present for it all. And I'll close with this um, part of this poem from Mark Nepo. Mother of the Universe. Mother of the Universe, let us, when swimming with the stream, become the stream. Let us, when moving with the music, become the music. Let us, when rocking the wounded, become the suffering. Let us live for the grace beneath all we want. Let us see it in everything and everyone till we admit to the mystery that when I look deep enough into you, I find me. And when you dare to hear my fear in the recess of your heart, you recognize it as your secret, which you thought no one else knew. Oh, let us have the courage to hold each other when we break and worship what unfolds. Let's, let us embrace the unexpected moment of unity. The third noble truth is the cessation of craving. It's the freedom. It's, the, it's often described in terms of what it is not. It's that, that fire that burns, craving and aversion, the heart's, sure heart's release. 
So let's breathe in, flower fresh. Breathe out, mountain solid. Let us embrace that unexpected moment of unity. We have plenty of time to uh, share and discuss together. You know, what are what are your gateways to freedom, you know, or anything else you want to bring up? struggling, you know, because things, you know, they're, they're, they're painful. There's difficult days. And I think that's where bringing the self-compassion in and uh, the kindness or holding it with a little bit of space of awareness or having a friend. Sometimes I tell people, you know, so often we just need our, our sangha. We need our spiritual friends or dear friends who can remind us who can hold, help us hold it. Sometimes it's just a matter of holding, you know, getting the support to hold the pain you know, versus fight with it or struggle or get upset with ourselves, you know. It's painful. Thank you. Other comments or questions? Yeah. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Nancy. Um, what you said about um, you know, like, the rumor humanity, finding enlightenment instead of trying to transcend, mm-hmm. it's huge for me. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciated that because um, I grew up with a really sort of heavy emphasis on um, following all the rules to get to a holy place. And it doesn't really work <laughs> for me anyway. Congratulations. So, yeah. <laughs> when that falls apart, you're really on the path. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. which is a great thing. Yeah. So, but it's so deeply ingrained in me that it's just, you know, so even when you said it, I was like, oh, yeah. 
is through my humanity, it's through the struggle. Yeah. And what one of my um, practices that I has really worked for me is when I am in a struggle and when something really hard is happening, um, and I'm really going to that place of panic or frustration or freak out, I try to just stop and say thank you for the struggle. <coughs> and it doesn't always happen, but um, when I can do it, it's um, pretty powerful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I don't know if people could hear Nancy. She's talking about having gratitude for when the struggle comes up, actually bringing gra gratitude. And that's a, a wonderful practice, you know, to actually, you know, it, it shifts. It's that paradox where you actually, rather than fight what's happening, you're actually grateful for whatever it is. You know, it can become a teacher. It can become an opening. I know, I know for me that that you know experiences like this or, or other difficult experiences I feel are you know it's not how together I am that, that helps me to be a present therapist it's it's facing dukkha it's knowing you know the suffering you know so so the gratitude that that's helped to open my heart or can open our hearts to more compassion you know and it might be great so be grateful like Rumi says be grateful for whatever comes each has been sent as a, a guide from beyond. So thank you, Nancy, for sharing that teaching. Yeah. Um, I just recently uh, came back from a trip where I went to visit a, a longtime friend, and um, I thought it would be like a completion uh, gathering and um, I'm a photographer among other things so I had my camera with me and um, had occasion to be shooting pictures in joy and then um, shooting pictures out of while I was angry and it was really uh, a completely different experience for me to experience the emotion while my hands were on my camera. and maybe it doesn't require responses. You know, I think we can be present to whatever's happening. So the fact that you were even noticing that there was anger while you were taking the pictures or there was joy and this just noticing and sometimes just being present with what is, you know, is what that's where it's at. I mean, that's not even sometimes that so that 
we think, well, I can't function if I'm angry. But if you're present and there's anger, I often tell the story in some of my talks because it was one a very moving experience was um, doing um, teaching a mindfulness-based stress reduction course at Shakopee Prison. Patrice also teaches in the prison work. And you see people transform in, one, in that setting. And one woman who'd taken the course twice, who's in there because I imagine her anger, came in one day and said, um, I am angry, but I am not my anger. It's like, wow, you know, night and day, you know, so knowing when you're angry. And you could take gorgeous pictures when you're angry and be awake, awake to the anger mm-hmm. or the joy. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, but that's what comes to mind when you talk about that experience. Because we think, I have to be in a good place, you know, maybe not. Or that could be present, but you could still be awake in that. A few more minutes. Um, yes. Um, I recently been uh, experiencing joy after a very long period of well, not experiencing joy. Um, and at times I find myself sort of getting caught up in it. Um, and I'm wondering if there's a difference between like allowing yourself to see positive possibilities and or getting like swept away by like wishful fantasy. You know, actually, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to have Achan Shah answer you <laughs> <laughs> much better than me. Um, when you have wisdom. Contact with experience is like standing at the bottom of a ripe mango tree. We get to choose between the good and the rotten mangoes. You know which fruits will make you sick and which will make you healthy. So, yes, you can cultivate and choose the, the ripe mangoes versus the rotten mangoes. You know? and, and actually, how you incline your mind and what you reinforce. So, like, even like with recognizing I've been through a long period of suffering, and suffering feels like this, like you open to that. But then now, this is what joy feels like, and it feels like this. Feel it in your body. Feel the contrast between the suffering, the dukkha, and the joy. And that that being mindful and, and present in that actually reinforces you to notice more moments of joy. So even when you're suffering, you might notice that there's pinpoints of joy or peace or okayness, you know. So so I don't know if that's responding, but I, the quote came to mind, and I just thought, yes, for, you don't have to go to the rotten mangoes. You can know the taste of the ripe and choose what makes you healthy. So where you dwell. And, what you know, the neurons that fire together wire together. So what are you dwelling on? Oh, the soap opera or the... You know, again, not saying you're trying to get rid of the dukkha or not. Um, embrace it. But how you relate to the dukkha is where the freedom is. It's not personal anyway. <laughs> so. Anything else come to mind? Yeah, Bonnie. In my, in my few years of practice, I've, I've managed to be able to recognize that I'm in dukkha, that that's where I am, and it helps me a lot. Can you say more? Yeah. Uh, but what I what I wanted to get at was 
the other side of the coin is when you're in joy, recognize that it's stage 12 and kind of not very good at that. Yet. that up. What do you think, guys? Is that okay if I open the question? Sure. I mean, like what comments or thoughts about recognizing joy or yeah, jump in. Um, I don't know. I, I thought that too. And I think, I don't know, if you're enjoying it and things are happening and anybody is getting hurt, maybe you just are there and you can sit. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to analyze mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Realize it. Mm-hmm. You understand it after the fact, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay. All right. Other thoughts? Yeah, go ahead. I, um, I do a lot of reading about Buddhist teachings. He warns us not to get attached to our joy. Mm-hmm. So I think about that when I'm being joyful. Right. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, well. I'm sorry. Is there? Was it somebody else have a hand up? I'm just going to opportunity for other voice. Yeah. Go. Go ahead. And then can you go? Next? What's your name? Kate. Kate. After. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, one of the things that has seemed to me to be the most useful thing about Buddhist teaching is that it of recognizing joy. I, I think that sometimes in practice there's a real orientation to looking at the three characteristics, to looking at suffering and permanence and the egolessness. And, and this is mostly from James Barrison's teachings, uh, this spirit rock teacher. Uh, and he talked about how because suffering is often the gate for us to practice, and, and most of us, many of us come to practice because we're suffering, that we tend not to notice the really wholesome joy in our lives. And just making that simple intention about um, noticing that, that joy can be a real support to practice because you can notice the wholesomeness of joy, the non-harming nature of joy. Um, and what is a real support that is to, to practice. So it's, it's very simple about just remembering that intention to, to notice and see that that really is often in alignment with our highest aspiration for ourselves to live without harming and to live with compassion. And just to notice how joy really is a part of it. Thank you. Thanks, Patrice. I think, did you want to add something to And And you know, that fear of getting attached, I mean, the attachment, we can be, you know, how many of us are attached to our suffering? You know, I mean, misery, uh, and, 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 you know, and to be able to laugh and, and, and see, like I said, like that was like, oh, right, duh, you know. It's like, so I think to, again, I, I want to, you know, add much to what Patrice is saying, but just to say, 
you know, to say I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna just practice and you know, like I, I think like that one sadhu saying I'm gonna diligently practice and I'm gonna, you know, burn away all the taints and I'm gonna, you know, break free from suffering. Where's the joy? Where's the peace? Where's the freedom? And recognizing, oh, I'm a human being and I could experience the joys and the sorrows. It's the non-attachment, like you kiss the joy as it flies. I mean, I watched the joy, the, the, the total happiness of like, thank God I don't have surgery and sitting there with my arm being wrapped, to the next day trying to take a shower with a plastic bag and getting frustrated and not so happy. But you know, it, you don't cling to it, but you can recognize it. And I think what Patrice is saying is that we recognize those moments of flower, fresh mountain salad. We recognize moments of freedom. We have climbed the mind. We go for the right mangoes. We, 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 we're moving in that direction that brings more peace, happiness, and freedom. You know, what do you feed? So I don't think I think non-attachment, but 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 looking for where the joy and the, the, the peace and the moments of freedom are. And then the more we're mindful when they happen, or even after the fact, like the one gentleman was saying, even after the fact, you can say, oh, that was a moment of joy. Or like what you were saying, oh, I'm noticing that it feels like this. Mark tells a story about having this weird feeling. And then he, he talked about it in a Dharma talk, and he said, Oh, that's happiness. <laughs> you know, and, and so so that you know, it's kind of like once you recognize something, like you you recognize a beautiful flower or tree, then then the mind attends to that. You know, um, so so you want to cultivate those wholesome states, those um, qualities of heart and mind. All right, well, let's um, finish up today. I think there's a few announcements. Uh, there's my announcement person. Yes, thank you. Uh, and, and then we'll. And, and then, oh wait, should we do the meta first? Yeah, let's do the meta first. Let's close with a few minutes of of just sitting, and we'll um, wish each other well with loving kindness, and then um, send out any benefits into our our ailing um, planet here. So letting the words go. letting the awareness drop into the heart area and as much as you can this evening inclining the mind and the heart towards peace happiness and freedom may I be happy may I be peaceful May I be free. And then if it feels right, we can radiate or generate these wishes for one another, all of us, human beings, 
experiencing the joys and the sorrows. Just as I wish for myself to be free, happy, and at peace, I wish this for everyone here at the center and then beyond the boundaries and borders to those near and dear to us, known and unknown, that we share our lives with in all places and all conditions. We can send the metta to Haiti and to other places on our earth so much suffering any benefits from our practice go to the benefit and awakening of all sentient beings including ourselves and let's sit for a few more moments Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.